0: Hello everyone and thank you for joining this podcast where we'll be discussing a topic which is not spoken about enough. That is the toxic mix of alcohol and motherhood and more specifically life as an alcoholic mum. My name is Lucy Good and I'm the founder of Beanstalk, an online space dedicated to supporting and inspiring single mums from all walks of life. My aim with these podcasts is to get useful, targeted information to single mums, wherever you are and whatever you're doing. I hunt down experts in the subjects that matter to single mums, and I ask the questions that I think you want to know the answers to. The information being shared in my free podcast can save you time, money, and a whole lot of worry. Why pay for services or waste time looking for information when you can get it right here? And if you have questions that are specific to your situation, my guests are always happy to go a step further. So don't be afraid to contact them directly if you like what you're hearing. And with all that out the way, I have enormous pleasure in welcoming the gorgeous Kate Gibson. Kate is a single mother to two children, Billy, age nine, and Charlie, girl Charlie, that is, age four. The reason I've invited Kate on this podcast is because she has an incredibly interesting and inspiring story to tell. It's a story she's already told and everyone is sitting up and taking notice, myself included. And what I find so incredibly special about it is that it's honest, open, unashamed and written from the heart. It is moving beyond words. It is a story that will touch and resonate with so many mums. It is about life as an alcoholic mum, and most importantly, Kate's journey to stop drinking. Kate's been sober for two and a half years now, and she's doing what all great people do, using her difficult experiences to help others. As as well as having the challenging and yet rewarding job of single mum, she's also a freelance photographer and is studying a bachelor of social work with the dream to work in the alcohol and other drug sector. Welcome, Kate. Hi, Lucy. Ah, oh, she's there. Sorry, we. Yeah. We, <laughs> the reason that we're both <laughs> laughing for anybody listening is that um, last time I said all of that, then I said welcome, Kate, and she dropped out. So um, I. <laughs> I was waiting to see whether you actually made it this time.
1: <laughs> I'm here.
0: Thank you for having me. <laughs> and it's a real pleasure. Real, thank you so much for coming on, Kate. Now, one of the things I just mentioned was how this topic and your story will resonate with so many mums in our earlier email chats. And just before um, we started talking here, I had mentioned it, you know, alcohol is something that's certainly been a problem in my life at certain times. And I and I consider myself pretty much an everyday kind of mum. How big do you think this problem of mums over drinking actually is?
1: Uh, Look, if I look at my, um, you know, the mums in my world, that some of the the school mums, kinder mums and whatnot, I think, you know, drinking, I don't think it's, you know, it's not, it's not much different in being a mum as it is to being, you know, anyone else in as much as being a mum doesn't cut down the drinking, I don't think. I think Mm -hmm. that the over drinking is still happening. You know, whether you're, you know, you've had a hard day and you're coming home after, you know, school pickup, drop off, you know, whatever, and you've been to basketball and you come home and opening a bottle of wine. And, you know, I know a lot of mums who would have more than one glass of wine or one or two or have the recommended amount, you know, the, whatever the guidelines are of, you know, drinks per day. So I actually think the, over-drink, the overdrinking is quite common.
0: It is. And I think it's really interesting because I actually think in many cases, in my experience from um, the friends in my life, um, a lot of women I know have started drinking more since they've become mums. You know, um, ladies yeah. who didn't really drink very much before are hitting the wine in the evenings. Do you think that's the case? You could A lot of women do drink more now they're mums?
1: I think they do, you know, and I think it's, again, you know, with society, it's so socially acceptable to come home from work, open a beer, open a bottle of wine, you know, it's almost like a reward. You've Mm. done your jobs for the day. Okay, great, I can have a wine now. And I think perhaps, you know, there's so much pressure, especially on single mums and, of course, single dads as well and parents in general, you know, to get this done. And you've got school and you've got uh, extracurricular activities and, and people are using that to wind down. And I think, you know, that then you know, can become a problem when they're using that for their relaxation and perhaps that's where things get out of hand when they you know, becomes more of a habit than you had intended. Mm But I I definitely think, you know, the social circles and socialising with other mums, you know, 99% of the time it involves, oh, let's go, you know, let's have a wine after this or let's go out to the wine bar or let's do the cocktail night at school or, you know, it's all quite ingrained
0: it is. And it's almost as if things are a little bit flat without it sometimes. You, we we yes. feel like we need we need it to lift us and to keep us going. So it really is a, a huge issue um, that's happening at the moment. And I know you and I have in emails, I've, I've, it's weird that it's even legal really, isn't oh, it? Because it causes, causes so much damage. Um, yeah. But look, I've got a number of questions for you here, Kate. So I just really wanted to talk a bit more about your story because um, I love the way that your story takes us from you know how you started drinking right through to really your your lowest point and then how you got through that and came to where you are today so we'll get going with the questions and we'll try and fit them all into the time that we have sure so can you tell us a little bit about your younger years when you first discovered alcohol and the effect that it had on your life in those early days What was the draw of alcohol for you? Um,
1: Do you know, I actually remember, and I actually have a photo of this day, but I remember being at my dad's 50th birthday and I was, I would have been 14, and I remember that was the first day I actually got drunk. Like I had, you know, maybe sneaked a sip of champagne here and there and my parents were not, not drinkers by any stretch of the imagination, but... For some reason on this day, I got stuck into the champagne and perhaps I was given a glass that day or half a glass, you know, as a lot of parents do. Um, And I remember standing in the front yard at Mum and Dad's and just feeling this amazing feeling of being drunk for the first time. And in my head, I I remember thinking, I love this. Mm. I need this Mm. in my life. I was... You know, perhaps always, I've always struggled with body image and things like that and um, self-esteem, you know, as as we all do. And I just felt free and light and, oh, this is just such a relief to me. And it was almost like on that day I decided I need this in my life and this is going to be part of my life because this is amazing. It's so interesting,
0: it. isn't it, that you had this almost pivotal moment that you knew. Oh. It wasn't something that slowly happened that first. No. And I think as well, the fact that you say, you know, you had body image issues, um, having a drink takes away, it takes us away from reality, it takes away some worries. So if you at that age, you know, young girls, they do have a lot of worries and you've suddenly discovered yeah. this magic way of, of relieving yourself of
1: them temporarily. So you can imagine yeah. it's quite normal to feel as you did. Oh, I was, yeah, I was obsessed. And, you know, that was, I, I remember vividly then every weekend or, you know, any party that was coming up while everyone else was getting, you know, they'd be getting ready for the party and looking forward to what they were going to wear. All I was worried about is am I going to be able to get drunk? Mm. You know, so that was my obsession and, and, and I remember it started that day, you know. I was, I was happy. Yeah. I was in love. I fell in love with it immediately.
0: You just have no, had no idea at the time what was happening.
1: No, no, mm. absolutely not. I would have no insight into yeah, obviously where it would lead or, any you know, as far as alcoholism or anything, I wouldn't have known what that was. Mm. So but I, I absolutely remember the instant obsession and love affair. I was just in love with it.
0: Yeah, and did you find that um, it made you more confident? Were you were you a confident person at that age? Was it something that you felt well, if I have a few drinks, I'm able to chat more easily, and I am more out there, and I'm more fun.
1: Um, I think look, I'm pretty outgoing in my personality anyway, and I'm I guess I've outwardly confident so people probably would be surprised if you know I had turned around at that age and said oh I hate the way I look or I hate myself or whatnot because I always put on a pretty confident front but I definitely felt you know I felt less ugly and I felt more likable and I felt Mm. you know I just felt more at peace with myself when I wasn't actually present in my own self. Yeah that's that's
0: such a a wonderful way to put it because that is what it's like. Mm. One of the really crucial points you mention in your story is that you when you grew older you noticed that you were different to your friends can you talk us through why you felt like this for example what are the red flags that suggest an unhealthy relationship with alcohol and I asked this question for something to consider with ourselves as single mothers or mothers um, but also for those with older children who are discovering alcohol
1: mm-hmm. um look I think the first red flag for me was my obsession with the alcohol. Um, other friends I know, you know, you as kids, as teenagers, you'd be getting ready for a party and you'd, you know, nick some of the alcohol from mum and dad's, you know, cellar or whatever was available or you'd send someone into the bottle shop and they'd buy a, a 375ml hip flask and, you know, that was common among my friends. But with me, it was, they were, you know, they weren't focused on that. I, that was my entire focus whereas they would be focused on oh yeah we'll have a couple of drinks and then we'll go to this party you know and if we happened to be at someone's house and having a drink before the party because the parents weren't home or whatnot I couldn't have cared less whether we went to the party I was <laughs> yeah you know I was focused on where the next <laughs> lot of alcohol was coming from so you know that was definitely a red flag for me that that was my obsession um And the second big thing for me was that when everyone else would sort of stop, you know, they'd feel sick or they'd start falling over or, you know, doing what drunk people do, I didn't stop. I would keep going. So I would drink myself into a state of complete oblivion, you know, and I was always the one who I have always been able to consume a lot of alcohol. And, I mean, even now I drink drink soda water by the litres, and I'm able to consume a lot and I think it's just who I am. But I was always consuming a lot more than everyone else and everyone was shocked. And, when you know, when I started noticing, wow, they're not, they're not able to drink four bottles of champagne on grand final day. Like how come I can drink all this and how come I'm still going when everyone else is heading home and having a meal? Like I had no interest in eating or, mm. or doing anything else. All I wanted to do was get as much alcohol as I could into my body.
0: And there's almost, at that age, there's a, people almost look up to you if you're a big drinker. People think it's quite cool, don't they, when you're younger? You know, oh yeah, she can drink anyone under the table, and it's something almost to be proud of, isn't it? Yeah,
1: it was, you know, my last name being Gibson, my nickname was Gibbo, and they'd be, good on you, Gibbo, you know, you can... Oh, you should see my mate Gibbo drink. She'd drink you under the table, you know. I mean, that's terrible. It is, but isn't you're right.
0: It? <laughs> so we, so we were proud of it. Yeah, it's encouragement, and you would have you would have felt proud of it. I remember being young and being a big drinker, and people used to sort of compliment me on being able to drink a lot. Thinking about it, I yeah. actually wasn't because I made a total fool of myself or passed out yeah. or blacked out. Um, but I had the capacity, like you're saying, you did to drink a lot, and it was seen as. A really good thing, which it's yeah. just a crazy mixed message, isn't it? That um, we're Absolutely. giving out, and Absolutely. I think that what's so hard about it, especially with young people, is that being drunk is seen as funny and um, almost a bit of a comedy act, so yeah. you can be doing the stupidest thing that it's really, really funny to other people. And because yeah. of that, it's masked the danger.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I often drive past the, lo- I'm in a small town in Victoria and the local pub on a Monday morning. I mean, there's plenty of times you drive past and someone's obviously gone through the window or, you know, mm. fallen through it, you know, and people laugh about it. And, the, you know, if they were down there and they were off their face on heroin, the whole town would be disgusted. But because it's alcohol. Oh, Mick fell off the bar stool and broke the glass. Like, ha ha. It's not funny. (laughs) It's
0: not funny. But then even with, I mean, when I've been drunk, I've done some ridiculous things. But when I, you know, and you you hate yourself for them and you just feel terrible and you feel stupid. But even when you look back at them after all these years, you tend to, they do almost still look comical. It's like, how did I, that must have just looked ridiculous. It's the, it, it, it's so hard to separate those two things, isn't it? And then there's yeah. a very fine line when it turns from being funny to being really serious when you hurt someone or you end up in jail or God knows Absolutely. what, because it can yeah. happen so easily. But yeah, that's really interesting that you, you saw these red flags coming, that things, were, yeah. things weren't things were right and nobody else around you noticed it because they all thought you were just so much fun. yeah. Yeah. yeah okay yeah, it's it's frightening <laughs> it, it is really frightening, so i 'll move on to the next question. It seemed sure. like you reached a point where you were almost trapped by alcoholism and you needed something to break that cycle. You became pregnant and were sober throughout and I 'm sure that you'd hope that this would be the key to stop you drinking, but sadly it mm-hmm. wasn't, nor was your second entirely sober pregnancy. People who have never experienced alcohol addiction would struggle to understand how even our kids, who we adore, are not enough to break the cycle. Mm. Can you talk us through this period of your pregnancies? Why did you start drinking again? And how are you feeling at this stage in your life?
1: I think, you know, I, I, I thought I was a bit of a hero for stopping drinking during the pregnancies. And I thought... You know, and I know people are not able to stop and then, you know, there's terrible consequences to that. So I was, I thought, oh, good on you. You know, you stopped and you've done this and done that. And um, I, I, I guess for me it was like I knew the risk factors and that was enough for me to stop. But you would think then, and as my mum has said to me many times, like, well, now you've got this baby, is that not the same incentive for you to stop? Mm. Um But for some reason it wasn't, you know, and I was at home. I was a stay-at-home mum. Um, I was in a relationship where my partner, well, he'd only ever known me as a drinker, My entire, you know, the entire time I'd known him. Um, I guess I was good fun when I drank, Um, you know, so it was very easy to go back to. I was home, so, you know, 4.30 when my son was little, at 4.30 the Bold and the Beautiful would come on and I'd sit down and, Open a bottle of wine, and that was the time I'd, I'd start drinking. And I was so disappointed in myself because I thought, you know, you've done you've done eight, nine months, whatever it is, and you did it. So what's wrong with you? But it was just I was obsessed. I couldn't. There was no sort of you know, it's beyond willpower. Mm. It's it was far beyond that. It was out of my reach. Mm. So. Yeah. It, and it is a
0: disease, isn't it? And that's the thing that I think people need to remember. And if most people have a disease, they get treated for it in some way or another. Exactly. So you have this disease which isn't being treated. So, as you say, it was beyond your power to, yes. to not drink. And being pregnant, you've got this little being growing inside you. Yes, that's enough. But once you've had the baby, the excuse not to not drink has gone. Um, Yes. So did you find yourself near to the end of your pregnancy thinking, oh, I can't wait to not be pregnant and be able to have a drink? Or did you really think that this is it and it just sort of slid back afterwards?
1: I think I thought this was it. I thought, oh, I'm cured. This is amazing. Mm. This child has cured me. Um, but then in the same breath, like towards the end of my pregnancy with my son, he was born in January, I had to do a Christmas sober and my partner at the time went out and, and bought me this non-alcoholic wine and I laughed. I said, what is the point? Mm. And my dad said, well, some of us drink for the taste. I said, well, I don't. <laughs> I, I knew that. And well, I'm like, I'm not going to drink this because there is no point me drinking this. I'm not, you know, if I want to drink for taste, I'll drink mineral water or, you know, or Coke or whatever. I'm not going to drink pretend wine I say it's pointless so I guess that was a, you know that's a red flag too it I was, is isn't it you know, yeah
0: it's a real red flag when you think like that
1: yeah yeah so oh. that you know that was a bit that was quite um a little frightening and to think that you know if I thought oh I'll, I'll never drink again after this well how on earth would I have Christmas next year if I can't drink yes exactly you, you know I'll never won- celebrate <laughs>
0: anything <laughs> like you it's, it's so ingrained into our lives and it's such a. A, a, it's a ridiculous thing that it's so social we almost have to do it um yeah I can remember being pregnant and obviously not drinking either and my friends would be going out for dinner and I would turn the dinner down because I think what's the point of going along going out for dinner and not having a drink or I knew, <laughs> knew I'd be so jealous of them all drinking that I'd rather not go I'd rather just stay in which yeah. again it's a red flag isn't it when you're thinking things like I only drink for the feeling, not for the taste, or I'm not gonna go out because I can't have a drink. And I think they're things that a lot of women do think, but they don't perhaps see them as red flags, or they know they are, but they're just not admitting it to themselves. So it is something to look out for. And I think um, I tend to find if I have a glass of wine as well in the evening, it energizes me. So having kids is exhausting. yes, And you're very tired and, Um, if you have a glass of wine, it can give you a bit of a lift to keep going with everything you've got to do. Or as we were saying earlier, it's a reward, isn't it? So you feel, oh, look, I've I've only had three hours sleep and I've been up and down all day and I haven't stopped, so I'm going to reward myself with a drink. And so that's where the link between being a mum and having a drink comes, and that's just a very strong, easy thing and a very social thing to do. So I can understand why you ended up going back to drinking. Some may not understand, some do. Um, So look, I know you reached a terribly low point as an alcoholic mother. Um, If you feel you can, can you tell us about your lowest point and consequently your turning point when you say something
1: snapped and your life changed? Yeah, sure. Look, I got to the end of... It must have been 2014 and I would I, – it was beginning that every time I drank and I, I was drinking, you know, probably at least two bottles of wine a night and that would be probably five nights a week if not seven. Oh, my um, goodness.
0: Yeah. <laughs> How did you feel if you don't mind me interrupting the following hideous. morning after drinking? Absolutely
1: hideous. Hideous. Oh, yeah. I'd be so hungover and sick and driving – you know, driving my son to school and my daughter in the back and I'd come home and she was a late walker so she was kind of cruisy and I'd have to come home and have a sleep with her and she'd be just sort of cruising around. You know, she'd sit on the floor and play and I'd lay on the couch or, you know, I encouraged her to keep her day sleep so I could mm. get through the day. Mm. It was hideous. But at, at those moments, like if I drank any more than two bottles of wine, I was wetting the bed. And that was happening more and more frequently and, um, you know, I feel strange being able to talk about it now because that was one of the things I was most ashamed of. But, you know, that was happening nearly every time I drank, you know, and uh, there was one night I woke up on the couch and I'd wet myself, you know, and I'm waking up in my own way and I'm thinking, what am I doing? Mm. You know, it's disgusting, it's embarrassing, it's humiliating. And, you know, and the other thing was I wasn't able to get up for my kids. I couldn't get out of bed. There were some days I was so sick that on a Saturday morning the kids would go with their dad to swimming and I couldn't go because I couldn't bear to be sitting in, the you know, the humidity of the heated pool and watching them swim. I would have thrown up. Mm. So I was missing these moments of my kids' lives and I would every day get in the shower and have this argument with myself and say, you're such an a-hole and what are you doing? And, you know, this conversation in my head and I'd promise myself it wasn't going to happen again and, you know, by 4 o'clock that day I'd be drinking and it, it just got to a point where it was just interfering with my life and it was starting to frighten me and... Mm. Um, and, you know, drinking, uh, driving my son to school the day after drinking, you know, three bottles of wine. I mean, surely I was over the limit. Mm. I'm lucky I didn't get pulled over. Yeah. So that that was nearing the end for me. And in the November, I started going to AA meetings and to an alcohol and drug counsellor. Um, but I was still drinking. And I was like, it was almost like I was planning to stop, but I wasn't quite ready um, and on was the New Year's Eve of 2014 or 15, sorry, end of 14, um, and we'd been out at friend's place and drank all night. And, you know, I woke up at three in the afternoon in the, in the spare room and I, I had wet the bed and I could hear my son in the kitchen with my daughter and with their dad. And my son, Billy, said, why is mummy still asleep? It's three o'clock. And my ex-partner said, oh, she's just tired. And I heard that and I went, you liar, get up. He's lying for you. You're lying Mm. to me. This is pathetic. This is the first day of a new year. This cannot go on any longer. I've actually got bumps telling this because it was just Mm. so pivotal that I jumped out of bed, walked past them in the kitchen and I was terribly ill. I think I'd knocked off about five bottles of wine on New Year's Eve and I went straight to my laptop and I sat down and I wrote myself a note and, you know, I berated myself. I said, you're, you're a disgrace. These kids need you. They need a mum. They don't need this. And that was the last time I drank.
0: Oh, my goodness. That is just you, – you, I've got goosebumps as well listening to it. I'm absolutely riveted. Um, I just – I find a great interest in turning points in people's lives and I think they're a very necessary thing sometimes. You have to get so low – for something to happen for you to make a change but what I find quite interesting about your your turning point was that you'd obviously had a lot as you say every morning you were getting in the shower and going not never doing this again we all do it don't we after a drink yeah terrible never drinking again never obviously you were a lot it was a lot more serious for you but that morning just was enough. A few different things had happened. You'd ended up in the spare room. You'd wet the bed. You hadn't woken up the following morning and it was New Year's Day. You'd heard your ex-partner talking to you. So that sort of sequence of events was was something that just you just decided enough. And that's just amazing. uh, Terrible moments for you, but thank goodness it came to that. Well,
1: I agree. And, you know, I look back over some of the moments – before that where I'd had, you know, I'd fallen over a cushion and broken my ankle and I thought that'd be enough, you know, that I couldn't carry my baby and we had to rent a wheelchair so I could, you know, get around the house with with a, you know, six-month-old baby. But that wasn't enough. Yeah. And in the end it wasn't something
0: big. It wasn't anything like big that made you change it was just Uh, it was new year's day and enough was there's only so much I mean at the end of the day you're a sensible woman and although you were being overtaken by this disease you can still see through the mist to see enough and I mean my next question I'm dying to ask because it relates a little bit to what we were talking about Um, But alcoholism is a serious disease, as we've said. And it affects not just the drinker, but everyone around them. And a real problem you had was your husband. Was he your husband or your partner? No, yeah,
1: partner. Partner. But yeah, he's the father of both
0: of my kids. Right, okay. And he condoned your drinking. And you say he even liked you drunk. Looking back, how do you see his impact on the situation? And how do you feel about that now?
1: Um... I, you know, you know when you see movies and you see people and they have the intervention and they, you know, they save the person from their drinking and they all stand up and say we're not doing this anymore and we want to help you. You know, I look back and I wonder why didn't you why didn't you do that for me? Like where were you? Why did you let me keep going? And I actually asked him recently. I said, how come you never did anything? And he said, oh, I, d- I didn't want you to resent me. And I, I took that as a bit of a cop out because you know he i think when i drank he i was i was more agreeable i i, I didn't care what he was doing in as much as you know he's um a lot of decisions his priorities were very different to mine um with finances and stuff and when i was drinking i went oh well whatever you do that don't worry about paying that bill or whatever But also I think I felt immense immense amount of, you know, kind of guilt that I was such a disaster and that he was sort of covering for me. So I let a lot of stuff slide. Did you you feel, he he,
0: he felt he was on the upper level maybe, he, because you, you, and especially when you're hung over, you're just not firing on all cylinders by any stretch of the imagination, you're just fighting to get through the day, yet he's feeling okay, so Mm. he's got one up on you, and not necessarily in a horrible way, but maybe subconsciously almost,
1: I think so. And looking back now, I can see that the entire relationship was like that. And by no means am I saying the whole thing was horrible, you know, this, this mm. person as well. But he, um, you know, there were times when I'd, I'd have this challenge every Friday that I wasn't going to drink on a Friday night because that was my hardest night. And, you know, everyone's worked all week. So why shouldn't we drink? And he and I, you know, that was our thing and um there were a couple of Fridays where he'd ring and he'd say oh do you need wine I'm on my way home and that was every day that he'd say do you need wine I'm on my way home and I remember one particular time I said no I'm not drinking tonight he said are you sure and I said no no I'm not I'm gonna do it I'm fine and it got to about eight thirty at night and I said oh I should have bought wine he goes don't worry there's six bottles in the
0: car. I'll go and get oh, you one. Oh, I mean, honestly, that's just amazing, isn't it? Talk about unsupportive. Yeah. Because I know from my marriage, we were both big drinkers, um, and. Yeah. You, it's so funny you should say because we both used to do. Oh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna drink on Mondays and Tuesdays or whatever. Yeah, and all have, the rules that you <laughs> set <laughs> because we never, we never worked together, and that's why we're divorced now. But he'd have one, he'd he'd make up his own mind of what he was gonna do in not drinking, and I'd make up my mind. But really, we should have done it together because as soon as somebody's yeah. in the house sitting there next to you and they've got a drink, of course you want one, don't you? And course, it would have been yeah. so easy for him to have done one of two things best of all, he could have said, okay, well, I won't drink with you on a Friday. That would have been yeah. hugely supportive. But also just not to have, even the, would you like a drink? No, I'm not going to have one was enough instead of saying, oh, are you sure you don't want one? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. he went a step further and actually brought you some. Yeah.
1: Was, yeah. And it
0: was in the car and it always crazy. was. Crazy. Oh, <laughs> and I mean, is, it, is that some form of Sort of some kind of abuse really isn't it on some level um yeah like I say it's not intended I'm sure but if you can see somebody if you saw somebody hitting themselves over the head with a plank of wood repeatedly you'd stop them because they're damaging themselves exactly and he could see what you were doing you were damaging yourself and not only did he choose not to do anything about it but he actually encouraged you which is And, you know, you can see now looking back why, but it's a very interesting situation. So it's really important. And one of the things in my e-course that I do for single mums is talk about removing toxic people from your life and looking around you and deciding who's good in your world and who isn't. Because the people (laughs) we surround ourselves with is so important. And you had somebody right there living with you all the time um, who was probably quite a large part of your problem. Mm.
1: look I'll I'll just before we go on I'll just want to say like when I did actually stop drinking he stopped drinking around me so I will you know hats off to him for doing that he did do that and you know but he that was that was the end of our relationship on my hundredth day sober that he he turned around and said you're actually boring and you don't know how to have fun anymore and I said, "Well." you know, did you like it when I was wetting the bed and drink driving with, you know, the kids in the car on the way to school? And he goes, oh, I didn't really see a problem. I said, I think we're done. You really?
0: Know? Yeah, so he was it's he the, was quite he, sincere when he said he liked you more when you were drunk. Yeah, yeah, he did. And it was maybe his way of holding the marriage together or the partnership together. It could have been. Yeah, yeah. it could And um, it could how does been. he feel about it all now? Has he, he sort of recognised it a little bit more for what it is or is it just not discussed? Um,
1: we have had a couple of discussions at times when we're amicable <laughs> and I'll say, you know, he'll say, oh, I can't believe you've quit. You know, that it is amazing. I never thought you'd do it. But, you know, when I've said, you do realise I was going to die if I'd continued and he goes, oh, well, you know, you changed and that's why our relationship ended. So there's yeah. never any acceptance of any, anyone else's fault except my own. But yeah. I, I don't think he saw the... The gravity of it, I, I don't know how, but, you know, I, it, it would have ended my life yeah. in one way or another. Maybe
0: he's in denial about it because perhaps he kind of knows how bad it was, but he feels a little bit guilty that he didn't do more than he did. But, of course, he yeah. had his own reasons for that. And perhaps, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's it, yeah. But uh, But it's just an interesting thing, isn't it, in your story that you had someone who was quite happy with your drinking, living with you. Yeah. So that made it... Oh, and I loved it. Yeah, well, you would have, I can imagine, because you could get away with it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, now my next question is... How do you think your drinking and your subsequently your sobriety? Sorry, that was a mouthful. Subsequently, (laughs) your sobriety has affected your children. Um, And what should we know about our alcohol behaviours and how they affect our children during our upbringing?
1: Um, Look, I'm... I'm pretty, you know, when they, I'm a reformed smoker as well, and you know, people go, "Oh, you're a reformed smoker," and you, you know, you, you get on people's cases about alcohol, and I'm, I'm quite vigilant about that now. Like my dad um, will have a couple of beers, and if he's here, he might say to my son, "Oh, can you grab that that can of beer off the kitchen bench?" And I say, "No, haven't you seen that ad? You know, like yeah. how it affects the kids," and and I firmly believe that. I I'm all about role modeling with with this stuff um I I did speak with my son the other day and he's nine and a half and I said what do you remember about my drinking like, I'm very honest with him about it um and he said oh not much really he goes I remember you you know you stayed in bed a lot and I mean that breaks my heart mm-hmm. because I wasn't sick and I, I mean I was physically sick but it was self-inflicted you know with the hangover but he he now only sort of remembers the giant wine glasses that I'd pour my wine into <laughs> and you know the fact that the ice blocks in the freezer were mummies and no one else is having those because those are going in the wine. So um, you know, he only remembers that now. But you know, I think if they see us doing this, you know, they see those behaviours, if they see us drinking and it's socially acceptable to get smashed and, you know, fall over and ha, everyone thinks it's funny. I mean that's that's going to impact on what they think is okay and that that concerns me deeply in as much as how society portrays alcohol you know generally Mm. I mean it's everywhere and it's socially acceptable and you know I had good friends when I when I stopped drinking would say oh can't you just have one or two or do Mm. you really think you need to stop you know it's so it's so disturbing to me that I could be in such a horrible place yet society thinks it's okay and I think you know if I had have continued and my children you know got older and watched me doing this I mean I can only imagine that the impact on them would be hideous you know to have a mum who's not not able to drive to the you know school interviews or not able to get up in the morning or forgets to make your lunch or is vomiting out the car window on the way to school drop-off like it's just disgusting you know Yeah. um, And and then when they grow up and they
0: get into their early teens and they start drinking, if they start behaving that way as a parent, you don't have very much authority to tell them not to do it if you've done it in front of them.
1: Exactly. They'll say, well, you did it. Yeah, why can't we do it
0: you know like you were doing this why shouldn't I but does it work the other way around as well so if you you know if your parents are heavy drinkers and it's affected you I mean I have got one friend whose parents owned a pub in London and um were both very heavy drinkers I think the dad was definitely an alcoholic and the mum was pretty bad as well but she doesn't touch a drop now
1: yeah well I've just recently um met a nice man who was, you know, we were having a conversation about this and he disclosed to me that he is an alcoholic and hasn't had a drink since he was about 20. And I asked, what was your reasoning? And he said he knew, he recognised this feeling, this unnatural feeling when he did have a drink and his father had been an alcoholic and, and subsequently died from a ulcerated kidney and died a horrible death at a premature age. And he said, I looked in the mirror and I saw my dad's face and I knew I did not want to be that person. And that was what stopped him.
0: Yeah, so it can put them off. But you just don't know, do you? So you're well, you off- don't. <laughs> you can do when your kids are growing up, you don't know what, what the right and wrong thing to do. But I know that being drunk around your kids all the time is not a good thing. And also you, what you say about your friends who said to you, that why don't you have one drink? It's not that they don't care, I'm sure, it's that they don't understand. It's a lack of understanding yeah. because it's normalized through the TV, through magazines, um, everywhere we look, there's adverts for alcohol. So people just don't see the danger in it unless they've Absolutely. experienced it like, um, like some have. But how do you feel about um, your kids taking their first sip of alcohol? Because you remember that moment so well, don't you? And it was such yeah. a, a point in your life.
1: Yeah, look, I think my kids are going to be like every other Teenager, and they're going to do what they're going to do and um, they're going to try it. And, I you know, I'm grateful for my journey, Lucy, that I am an alcoholic and I'm, I'm pleased to be one, you know. Okay, well, a lot of things wouldn't have happened and life might have been a bit easier and whatever, but I am now going to be able to recognise stuff. And I know my kids are going to be the same as everyone else and they're going to do things and they'll probably smoke pot and they'll probably do all these things that teenagers <laughs> oh, do. Oh, here's my four-year-old <laughs> yelling at me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we've got it on record anyway. When you, yes. when you yeah, for her
1: twenty first. <laughs> yeah. So you know, but I kind of feel pleased that I'm. I feel I'm almost a step ahead. That I, I will know. I'll be. You know, I've been there and done that, and I'm going to keep a good eye on you, and I'll be able to recognise. You know, if there are those signs, but you know, as as was pointed out to me in a, in one of the AA meetings, I mean. Addiction is a disease. It's, it's classified by the World Health Organization. It's real. It's not some, you know, you're a weak person or you're this or that, you know, and, and I'm, I'm well aware that my, you know, my children, like anyone else, are at risk of, of being an alcoholic or an addict or, you know, having some sort of process addiction or anything like that. So, you know, we all have to be vigilant and I just, you know, I'm kind of pleased I've been through it and I can keep an eye on them and their friends as they, as they grow up.
0: Yeah, I love the way you take so many good things from your experience, which has obviously been really horrible, but you sort of look at the good side of it and you say, at least I can I can recognise these things, I can help my kids, I can help other kids and other people eventually once you've done your training as well. So that's just what really? I love. I love the the fact that you can take negative experiences and help other people. It's an extremely empowering thing to do.
1: Yeah, it's changed my life like that yeah. I I do feel empowered by that and, you know, it's a good thing. So when you, all those times
0: when you were lying in bed, feeling absolutely awful, you never ever would have thought that you'd be sitting here saying, I'm glad that I had that, that I went through that. Um, And it's amazing how life has its twists and turns and everything happens for a reason.
1: Absolutely. I never thought that would happen. So, oh, now the dog's barking. Uh.
0: It's all going on, that's all right, it it's a very relaxed podcast. Anyway, we've only got one more question, yeah, um, sure. so we'll fly through it. So with all my podcasts, I like to leave the single mums listening with something actionable to take away. We discussed the red flags that may indicate our drinking habits are getting out of control. So if any of these are flying, from your first-hand experience, what are the steps we should take to address the problem?
1: You know, I think the, the biggest thing I did was walk into my GP who I had a good relationship with. I think that's so important to have someone, you know, a medical or a helping professional that you have a good relationship with. I walked in and I was brutally honest with her and she nearly fell off her chair and we talked about it recently. She, you know, she asked, how much are you drinking? And I told her and she dropped the F-bomb and went, hey. <laughs> And I said, yes, I am, you know, and I appreciate her honesty and we had that relationship. But I think to reach out, ask for help, don't be ashamed. I mean, you know, I went to an AA meeting the other day only to find that a lady from 10 houses up was at the same meeting. I would never have known. It's so common. Don't be afraid to reach out. You are not alone. It it is a hideous, frightening, isolating disease as are other diseases, you know, don't be ashamed. Just you, you you be amazed at the good company you are in as an addict or an alcoholic, yeah. you know. there's—it It is so common and I think you just need to take that step and, and say, hey, I think I've got some problems here. And it's not, you know, don't think about, oh, I'll never be able to drink again. Don't think like that. Just reach out, have a chat to someone, you know, like they say in the AA rooms, the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking, you know, and don't be afraid to go to those meetings either. I'm not a God person and I ignore all the God-related stuff, but the people there have walked your journey and they've been there and they're there to help. So I think just by reaching out in any way that you can to Mm. someone like me or to go to a meeting or to go to your GP or source a counsellor, there's some amazing counsellors around, You know, mine mine saved my life or helped me save my life. So, you you know, just take that step. Just reach out. Don't live in that hell because you're not alone.
0: And those sort of, from what you're saying, I'm sort of thinking the two main and easiest places to reach for that help is your local GP, which some people might not even consider when it comes to um, alcohol, um, and also to AA. So they're the two that are AA's, all over the place, isn't it? Um, yeah, they're
1: everywhere, and you can be—you know—it's anonymous. You can walk in and just say, "I'm a friend" or whatever. You don't have to speak. There's no pressure. Just mm. go. And you find that that's
0: been really useful, AA.
1: I have, yeah. Look, I don't get to enough meetings, so I'd like to go more because you know it's a—it reminds you of what will happen. It's not if it will happen to you; it will happen. You know, if you don't get—you know—if you don't admit that you've got a problem and you don't get some help bad things are going to happen, you know, drink driving, you might kill someone, you might kill yourself. You know, these things are going to happen. Your health, I mean, your liver, all those things. It's just frightening. Yeah. So think about consider
0: the future and that's enough to to frighten you into doing something. Yes. Um, And the
1: stories you hear in those rooms are enough to remind you of of good reason to stop. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, we've reached our limit for time, Kate. Um, I'd actually like to delve a little deeper into the issue. It's such an interesting topic, especially when you look at the cause of the problem. And prevention, Mm -hmm. you know more than most, is uh, much better than cure. Um, It does interest Mm -hmm. me very much, the whole thing. Um, I think that any single mums listening who feel they have a problem with alcohol will have found our chat helpful, um, but also maybe a bit emotional. We talked about that sort of snap moment when you realize something has to change. And maybe listening to your story today could be a turning point for some people. After all, that is the reason that you've bared all, as it were, is to help other people going through what you've been through, um, which Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's such a great thing to do. Now, if anybody's listening and they would like to get in contact with Kate, um, she's got an Instagram account with fantastic name. It's unapologetically Kate. Um, I'm not going to spell it. <laughs> 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 but I have I'll say it again it. <laughs> it's unapologetically Kate and it's a brilliant name I love it so <laughs> thank you for your brutal honesty for having the strength to share your story and for your kindness to reach out and help others and thank you mostly Kate for taking the time to chat to me here on this podcast you're very welcome. Thanks for having me, Lucy. Thanks, Kate. It's been such a pleasure. And thank you, single mums, for listening. If you have even the slightest niggling feeling that your drinking is getting out of control, please take action. There is nothing to be ashamed of, like Kate said. In fact, reaching out for help is a sign of strength and courage. There are people out there to catch your fool, but only you can make the first move. Until next time, ladies, goodbye.